Hello, everybody. This is the Stronghold Podcast, uh, number 19. I'm here from quarantine with Matt Polino. Back again. What's up, dude? How you doing? How's it going, Lucas? I'm doing great, man. Um, I'm just, uh, you know, biding time, I guess, like everyone else. Uh, quarantine's been pretty boring. But luckily, we were able to get back into the swing of things with the UFC 249 card this past weekend. And it was, uh, it was a good step in the right direction. Yeah, that was the number one thing for me, dude. I was jonesing so hard for some fights. Like, I was watching all those hype videos and shit for, like, weeks. I was just fucking dying to watch that shit. I watched all of them, like, twice yesterday. Dude, between the fights yesterday and that fucking Michael Jordan documentary, I've just been, like, balls deep in sports the last two days. <laughs> Man, uh, everyone's been telling me to see it. I just, I, I just, like, I know how great Michael Jordan is. I'm just never, I'm not a basketball fan, and... I haven't watched it yet. Everyone's like, oh, you got to watch it. It's got this. It's like, bro, ah, I could never get around basketball. There's a lot of shit. I mean, for him, it's just, it's just he's a winner, right? I mean, that's the best thing about him is just seeing how competitive he is and how much of a freak of nature he is and all that kind of shit. Watching him go through his process and, and everything, that's really what it's about. It's more like I look at it as more like a even his coach, Phil Jackson, right? I mean, that guy's the most winning sports coach of all time. So just having him – go through his process and his training methods and, and seeing one of the greatest and most competitive athletes of all time, just fucking hammer everybody. It's, it's pretty sweet. Yeah. I, from a mental aspect as like an athlete, I think it's probably a great watch. I just think I'll get around to it once everything starts to go back into the swing of things. I just feel like it would piss me off to watch like people competing alone. I was just like, Oh man, I got to get out of here and do something, man. So, All right, man, so let's get uh, into yeah. these fights. Can we get into that? What you, just first thoughts right off the top of your head. Just, just go for it, man. I, was, I instantly knew this morning. I was like, I got to ask Matt if he wants to do a podcast because I, I want to pick your brain about these fights. Um, I think, like, right when they announced that Gaethje was going to be the fight for Ferguson, I thought that – I right away thought that um, it, was the, it was the worst matchup for him possibly. I think people people don't give Ferguson enough credit. I mean, they don't give Gaethje enough credit. The guy has got 21 wins with 18 knockouts. Like, an MMA, that's hard to do. And he's got a bunch of five-round fights. And he fought, like, super tough guys. Like, Louis Palmino, like, people don't know him. He's an animal, bro. He's like, if you ever watch PFL, he's like the Brett Cooper of the old days. And Gaethje beat him twice. Like, that's a huge win that people don't know about. And then... You see all of his other fights, and he just lost because he got complacent. But he was winning the fights against Poirier and Alvarez, like, pretty handedly. And he used to be one of GSP's wrestling partners. He trained with GSP in wrestling when he was in college. A lot of people don't know that. And if you're training with an elite athlete like GSP. I didn't know like that. Exten extensively, bro, you're going to be good. When have you seen Justin Gaethje on his back? He's never attempted a takedown, and I don't think anyone's, like, attempted to take down him, which is fucking crazy because he's got so much power. You would think so, right? It's one, it's one of the reasons is, is because, like, he's got a reputation. Not as, like – I think people get the misconception where, like, you have to be this elite-level wrestler to be good in MMA wrestling, which is absolutely ridiculous. It's not true at all. But when you have a reputation and you're able to hang with some, like – welterweights and wrestling like good mma guys bro people don't want to take you down and he's got a fantastic striking coach in trevor whitman and he's just so good at neutralizing people who try to take him down chops their legs gets them tired buries them and i knew right away when they announced him as the the person to come in for ferguson it was going to be an extremely tough fight for for tony because he gets touched up a lot in his fights yeah, I, I agree completely, man. When he went, I was actually a little upset when they announced the fight. I was upset Tony didn't wait for Khabib because I thought that he wouldn't get through Gaethje. I knew it was going to be a, a tough fight, but I mean, listen, Justin Gaethje is so fucking awesome that you just can't be mad, right? You just can't be mad. It's just, you know, this, this Tony Ferguson Khabib thing slipping away again, fucking bums me out. I knew that stylistically it was going to be difficult because Tony gets hit his striking defense in my opinion, is one of his weakest areas. But his chin and his toughness, by the way, his fucking chin. I have never seen anybody get hit so clean, so hard, so many times and keep going. 
that was fucking insane. I've never seen a human absorb that much impact before. Yeah, man. And if you saw his face after the fight, though, you could see that Justin did a, a, a good number on him. It was falling and off. The thing his is, face was falling off his fucking head. <laughs> it just sucks because Tony Ferguson won 12 straight fights. At any, at any other weight class, you're, you're already gotten a title fight at six or seven fights. I think and he was the interim think, champ before Khabib, before to, uh, Connor, before Poirier. All of those guys who've held gold since then, he was the champion first, never lost until that until this fight. He just, you know, you just wish you could see him get that unification fight because he deserved it so bad. And that was the hard part about seeing him lose. That's why some fans are a little butthurt about it. But listen, man, Gaethje did what he's supposed to do. And that guy's so fucking exciting and he's so awesome that you just can't, you can't be mad at him for it. And I think, like, the thing that's weird that people don't understand is, like, Gaethje's not a small guy. Like Ferguson looked taller, but they're actually the exact same height. It's just Gaethje's built through the back. So usually Ferguson, he's a lot. Everyone's like, oh, he's long for the division. He's the exact same height as Justin Gaethje. Mm. So like Gaethje's a, Gaethje's a big dude. And people don't, are, are not really taking into an account. Like when he fights Khabib, bro, they're going to be very similar in size. I think Khabib probably cuts. Khabib cuts from a bigger weight. But, man, Gaethje's not – he ain't no slouch, man. He's a big guy. He hits fucking hard. I cannot wait for that fight. That is a great fight. Yeah, and I even think that stylistically, the, you know, the, the, the underdog in, in this case, you know, previously it would have been Tony. Now it will be Gaethje. I, I do think Gaethje has more ways to win against Khabib because, I mean, the whole narrative behind Ferguson and Khabib was that we all knew Tony's going to get taken down. And it, but it's that he's so good at fighting off his back with his elbows and his submission attempts and – and, you know, there might be something there, but let's be honest. Like, I don't think anybody's beating Khabib off their back. I just don't see it happening. It's not to say it's not possible, and it's not to say Tony couldn't catch him. You know, everybody's talking about his darts choke and shit like that. But, you know, Justin Gaethje is a different animal, man. Like, taking him down is going to be tough. Keeping him down is going to be tough. And you know he's not going to quit. It's just, for me, Khabib is you, you've got to keep off your back off the cage, and you've got to keep his hands separated. If that motherfucker connects his hands around you, it's on your leg, it's around your body lock, it's on the ground for a pat, anything. If he gets his gorilla hands connected around you, you're done. And so I think if I'm Trevor Whitman or any of these guys prepping for Khabib now, you gotta got to get that footwork going. You never can get pinned against the cage. Khabib doesn't really shoot that amazing in the open mat. He still can, for sure. But it's not where most of his good work comes from. Most of it comes from the clinch. And uh, you've hand fighting, man, hand fighting him and never letting his hands get connected, I think, is going to be the game plan. I can't agree more. I think, like, the interesting matchup is Justin Gaethje is very – he fights forward the entire time. Similar, similarly to Ferguson, but Ferguson accepts the ground. Gaethje does not accept the ground. If you watch his fights, he's very hard sprawler. He down blocks extremely well. I think – if he can put pressure on Habib and force Habib to wrestle in open space, I think it becomes a very interesting fight because the disparity on the, in the stand-up between both of them, there's such a large gap. Oh, yeah. Gaethje definitely the cleaner striker. I think pretty much everybody can agree, especially after that Tony Ferguson fight. I mean, because he showed the number one trait he hadn't showed previously, which was patience. He had Tony hurt, and he never fucking got into that back-and-forth thing where he gets a lot of his darces from and scrambles when either he's hurt or when they're hurt. He was able to back off, let it come, and then the finish came in the end just by pure fucking beat down over time, volume and volume and volume over time. 100%. 100%. And then the, the thing is, is like, if you watch Habib when he fought Connor, his takedown, his first takedown he saw in the middle of the cage was a very ugly shot. Head was on the ground. He basically just dove for his leg. And Connor tried to, Connor tried to wrap around. He tried to like block with the foot and go behind, but he didn't lock his hands behind, like underneath the cross to like get the roll or to stop him from getting the double. And then Khabib cut back from the single and then stood up and finished the takedown. He's not going to take Gaethje down like that. If he takes a shot like that, no way he's, he's finishing on Justin Gaethje. Justin Gaethje wrestling with, like, Ryan Deacon and, and stuff like that. Like, Northwestern's probably best wrestler besides Sebastian Rivera is, like, one of his constant wrestling partners. 
He, who's finished a, like high in the U.S. Open. He's got a bunch of international wins. So he's been wrestling with some very high-level guys. And there is no way if Khabib shoots like that, he'll take Gaethje down. No chance. I do think a, a, an element that he will have to work on, because Gaethje's that, that old-school wrestler too, especially against the fence. But, you know, that, that classic wrestler getup that leaves a path to the back where he fucks up everybody. That is going to be the danger. If he does get down, he gets mat return, tries to come up in that wrestler stance, leaves a path to his back. That that so getting up is going to be real tough. One, you got to avoid the mat return, and two, you can't let him anywhere near your head. He will he'll crank you, he'll jaw lock you, he'll choke you. Again, if he connects those hands, whether it's around your neck, around your body, around anything, it's it's going to be a problem. I, I think if Gaethje can stop the first couple takedowns it will be really the tone for the fight because if he's able to, to stop the takedowns, later in the fight, the takedowns will be a lot easier to stop. And the other thing is, like, Gaethje doesn't take it. He's crazy. Bro, he throws, like, rolling thunder kicks and fights <laughs> and things like this. Man, bro, you don't know. Like, And the one thing that is different between folk-style wrestling and all these other styles is they're used to fighting on the ground. So, you know, expect, like, Granby rolls and heavy, like, like lock switches and stuff like Gaethje will bring the full arsenal to make sure no matter what if he gets taken down he's popping back up he's not going to accept the ground at all who who would you uh I mean it's it's a bit early for predictions but are you going to take the upset here are you going to go with Gaethje or you think Khabib gets it done um putting you on the spot (laughs) man it's so hard like yeah it's so hard Usually, it use MMA math, you know. But Habib doesn't fight very often, and Gaethje has just come off. Bro, who has beaten Tony Ferguson like that ever? Zero people. Zero. <laughs> yeah, like that zero. guy's a zombie, and Justin Gaethje just put his freaking as much man. And he fought hard for he five Tony rounds. Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson. He fought hard yeah. for five rounds, which was the game changer for me. I thought like. I thought if it got into like the, if Tony could get to, I knew he was going to get hit early. And I just, my thought was if his chin held up into the late rounds, he would be able to, to find ways to win there. But bro, in the fourth and fifth, Gaethje was still throwing hard. He was still landing clean. He didn't buckle under the pressure at all. His cardio was there. You know, I hear them talking maybe like Justin Gaethje, Conor McGregor, shit like that, dude. If Justin Gaethje will fuck Conor McGregor up, I think, because he's not going to, he's, Unless he gets knocked out cold, which is a possibility, like he's got that power late. He does not fade. He doesn't give a fuck. He's not scared to get in there and mix it up. That would be a crazy fight too. Gaethje is only ever going to be late in fights. And Conor McGregor fades late in fights. Yeah, dude. There's no chance. I'm sorry, but, man, Conor McGregor, he's got great boxing and everything. But I think, bro, Justin Gaethje has two wins by leg kick stoppage. Have you seen him leg kick people? Bro, watch some of his fights in WSOF. He literally wins the the fight by leg kick stoppage. The guy can't walk anymore. Bro, when he fought Edson Barboza, who's one of the most prolific kickers in the game, the first thing he did was go out and smack his leg. Which was crazy. The guy's got some goosebumps. Yeah, that was crazy watching him do that because nobody thought he was going to go out there and kick Bar. Barbosa is the best kicker in MMA, I would say. And to see him go out and then chop up his legs like that and then knock him out, dude, his left hook and his overhand right are so fucking nasty. And he beats you up all the way from the calf to the top of the head. Like that, sh- that punishment is going across your whole body and does not give a fuck at all about anything. <laughs> that, and it's also like, man, he did this on a five week camp. Yeah. Imagine if he's got like 12 weeks to fight Habib. And like, the, my thing is, I like Habib. He's a dominant wrestler. I love wrestling. But as a fan of just the sport, he fights so infrequently. And for the big fights, he's found a way out. When he's supposed to fight Tony Ferguson the first time, he missed weight. Their first, their first main event, their first, their first main event slot that wasn't in New York, it, he missed weight. He just didn't make weight for the fight. He didn't show up. He went to the hospital because he, he, it was the tiramisu time thing. Yeah, yeah. Remember? I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just like, man, to me, Justin Gaethje beating Tony Ferguson for the interim belt was a lot more impressive than Habib beating Ally Quinta for the real belt. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I think, I think the, the title still went through Tony. Like Justin Gaethje's got the most legitimate interim title other uh, on the same long, uh, along the same lines as, as uh, when Max Holloway lost to Dustin Poirier, because you beat a real champ. You came up there and you did that and Tony hadn't lost. I mean, part of that title had to go through Tony and compared to beating Iaquinta or even Conor McGregor. Yeah. I think that that interim title, the piece that Gaethje's got is as legitimate as they've ever come. And that fight between him and Khabib, in my opinion, is two champions. Like, they're two champions getting in there and getting it done. Fucking Justin Gaethje is a savage dude. That guy is fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it was like us. That's the thing I love about Gaethje. He's not going to go, oh, I need this. I can't fight during this month. I can't. I can only fight once a year. Bro, Gaethje's going to fight everyone. And that's what I like about him. He's going to fight everybody. He's not going to be like, oh, I'm waiting. I'm not. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait, wait out. I want to fight a super fight. No, man, he's gonna fight Poirier again. He's gonna fight Paul Felder. He's gonna fight Dan Hooker, bro. He's gonna fight everyone. And respect and, to Tony too. Did, Tony did the same thing. He didn't wait. He didn't fuck around. He went in there. He put it out there, and then it is what it is, right? A hundred percent. And that's why, like, it's also a good thing if Gaethje beats Habib because then the first matchup you can do is Ferguson versus Habib, the yeah. first one. Yeah. And That's then how the about first a, fight in a Poirier fucking Gaethje rematch? Are you kidding me? That was one of the most insane fights I've ever seen in my entire life. They both had each other wrecked. Like those two were both savages. Dude, between Justin Gaethje, Dustin Poirier, and Tony Ferguson, you have three of the most savage humans to ever live fighting each other. Like those guys just do not stop. They are, you have to separate them from their consciousness or they're not going anywhere ever. Those like, did you see the, did you see the fucking, uh, what was it? Uh, the Hardy fight with the Castro. Did you watch that one? Well, I think the thing with that is in the second round, he, he hurt his foot. Obviously <laughs> he hurt he his, toe. his toe. Meanwhile, you've got like Tony Ferguson's face hanging off. You've got all of these guys like dying on the main card. He breaks a toe, which he's still walking on the whole fight and then doesn't throw a punch for two rounds straight. It's like, bro, with Tony Ferguson's fighting, you're not going to fight because you hurt your little toe? <laughs> bro, it's, it's just a matter of, like, how much you want it, you know? Yeah, man. I so, think that that's, that's always been the thing in combat sports. It's just, like, how much you're going to want to win, how much you're going to want to do things. And then, like, you, you, you finally see that, um, bro, the 155 division's always been the deepest in the MMA just because it's right in the middle of where everyone is. and Bro, to be honest, if I look at stylistically, the fight I'd want to see if Justin beats Habib is him and Paul Felder. Because both those guys just fight, like, straight on the line. And they just throw heavy bombs. And, man, Felder, I know he lost his last fight to Hooker, but I really thought he won that fight. And I know Hooker's supposed to fight Poirier next. So, Hook Dan Hooker versus uh, Dustin Poirier will be a sick fight. And then, like, man, it's just... That whole division, if you match Justin Gaethje up with anyone, it becomes exciting. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, and Paul Felder's definitely in the mix, man. I mean, everyone forgets that he just beat he, – he beat recent – a couple of years ago, Charles Oliveira, who's streaking like crazy now. And in that fight with Dan Hooker, nobody lost that fight, man. Like, I, I mean, I honestly don't think you can discredit either. That, that shit was as close as it gets. They're both just fucking beasts. Paul Felder, man, that guy's – over the last few years, he's another one along with Jesus with Poirier and Ferguson and Paul Felder and fucking Justin Gaethje. Like, what is that? That is insane. That is like, those are five psychopaths just like fighting for the title. Like th those are some of the most guts, blood and guts fighters to ever lace up any kind of glove. That Brazilian guy who's also who beat Anthony Pettis. Um, which one? I forget what his name is. He's also, he's definitely top 10. Oh, let me get his name. He, uh, he's a savage, though. He beat uh, Maribek Taisumov in Abu Dhabi. The guy, the guy is just, he's a, he's a killer, man. Um, he's got a really good record. Um, Brazilian guy? Yeah. Trains out of Texas. Yeah, I'll know. say that. 
Yeah, that that top ten at one fifty five, man. That's that's not only the most stacked division in MMA. That's one of the most stacked divisions of all time. Could you imagine just just as a as a comparison point? Could you imagine boxing having a top ten that could fill in one division that could fill any main like could be a main event like boxing? You got like five people, and that and those five people will dictate all of the buy rates anybody watches it and that's it in that one division you've got enough fucking talent to sell any card to anybody and even the most casual fans will be like dude this shit is going to be crazy there's 10 of those motherfuckers just in lightweight alone did you manage to find it now is the same as the boxing's lightweight division in the golden era of boxing, when you have Roberto Duran, Marvin Hagler, Sugar, Sugar Ray. Ray Leonard, Tommy Hearns, yeah. you had all these guys like that are fighting each other. Bro, anyone can beat anyone, and then you every every fight is just a savage fight. Like who? No one got out of there alive. Everyone lost to one of them or or the other. You know? Yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard beat all of them, but Sugar Ray Leonard also lost to Roberto Duran at his optimal weight class. And that 15 round war. And then Roberto Duran went up and fought not Marvin Hagler at freaking rounds. It was one of the most classic fights of all time. And then Hagler Hearns, which is just a classic. And then like they round robin those fighters. And that's what's so good about the lightweight division is because if Dana White puts sticks his guns, it can be it could be great. Yeah, man, I totally agree. That's a good shout out too, by the way, because that probably is in boxing the most stacked any division's ever been. You could also go like the '90s era heavyweights with Holyfield and Tyson and Lennox Lewis, Riddick Bowe. You know, you could you could make an argument there too. But yeah, I mean, it's fucking dude. Lightweight is lit right now. I just I'm a huge like in, in terms of like like pugilistic boxing when you look at like the all-time great Roberto Duran is in my opinion the best to ever do it and you hear a lot of people talking about like Floyd this Floyd that if you ever hear Floyd Mayweather's camp talk about Roberto Duran they always say the toughest fight for Floyd Mayweather would be Roberto Duran because he does his best work on the inside where Floyd Mayweather is is also his best so that is a that would have been a huge fight and like just his ability to like at lightweight, he was he's the best lightweight of all time. And again, when you look at boxing, um, everything kind of, it's the same in wrestling. You wrestle usually heavyweight in in one or three or one or six. Now you have two or three like top tier guys, and then the rest of the division can be complete shit. Just because there's not a lot of depth, high school kids don't weigh 103 pounds, and a lot of them take a long time to get to heavyweight. But the closer you get to the middle, you get the the good median of technical and strength and it kind of just fits in the middle. That's why like lightweight division in the UFC, like light to welterweight division in boxing are always to me the most exciting fights. Yeah, if anyone's listening to this podcast and you wanna you wanna go watch a good boxing fight, watch that first fight between Roberto Duran and Sugar Ray Leonard. The the one where Leonard was fighting. Because the second one, he decided he was going to stick and move and he was going to be long, use his length, stay on the outside. That first one, though, they fucking fought, man. They're both standing in the middle of, middle of the ring just throwing hard shots at each other. You can just hear those fucking gloves slapping off each other's head. The one that, he, that, uh, that Roberto Duran won, that fight was fucking crazy. They weren't, like, trying to stick and move on the outside. They just stood in the middle and for, was it 15 rounds back then? Just beat the shit out of each other. Roberto Duran to me is just, um, I like that guy a lot. I like the way he fought. He fought everybody, didn't matter what weight class. And he fought, like, if you look at who's who's list the like, late 80s, 90s, boxing, he fought everyone. And he didn't back down. And he beat Sugar Ray Leonard at Sugar Ray's best weight class, 15 rounds, and beat him unanimously. And then um, he lost to Hearns and Hagler, though. But those guys are so much bigger than him, which is crazy because Roberto Duran just didn't give a fuck. He's like, I'll, whatever, I'll do it. I'll come in thick and still just show up and, and do the damn thing. Roberto Duran's 15-round fights are amazing. Watch the Hagler-Duran the, the, the fight is 
actually just insanity. It's amazing. It's yeah, that's, that's a good shout out too, man. That's that's definitely a golden era. Amazing. I mean, but then you realize like, bro, the UFC, like if you go from bantamweight to fucking light to middleweight, because, you know, John Jones has has light heavyweight locked down so hard. If you go from 135 up to 185, bro, the fucking divisions now are just stacked. They're stacked. Everything is just, there's so many solid contenders in, in every division. The top five in every division, I think, could beat each other, depending on the matchups. I think that's why, like, that's, why, that's what's great about MMA, though, is for evolved so much so quickly. Like, there's so much depth now. So now there are so many good fights to make. Um, but, uh, speaking of insanity, what about Francis and God? It's like, 15 seconds knocked out over Rosenstrike. I thought I had a hot take on that fight. I was like, you know what? I'm going to pick Rosenstrike because I, I looked up his kickboxing record. I watched him take a bunch of fights. He's got insane power too. So I was like, you know, may, maybe this guy could be the one. He's, I, I know. I was like, he's seen heavyweight power before. He's had like 80 kickboxing fights. So I was like, all right, here, Luke, everybody. I told all my students, I was like, here's my hot take. Rosenstrike uh, gets the win over Nganu. And then 20 seconds later, he gets knocked out. And I was just like, fuck. <laughs> Bad call. <laughs> I did a breakdown of the UFC 249 main card only, like, on my little videos. And uh, the, um, the Shout out your channel, dude. Was, Shout out your channel. I'm happy there's other, there's other podcasters out there. It's just putting right there. It's just my Instagram. You can just look it up on YouTube or, or my Instagram, Baby Cat Attack. They're just small videos. But I did the um, breakdown. And the thing I said is that Rosenstruck, he fights with a real pugilistic stance. Like his kickboxing and MMA, it looks exactly like how he kickbox and kickboxing. And that in Garnu, he, he's, a, he's a small glove fighter. Bro, he fights very, he fights with small gloves, man. Like, and I said that the difference is, is Nganu has more small glove fighting experience and that he would win by TKO or knockout. And yeah, you can't shield against Nganu. You can't just like put yeah. your hands up and shield and expect to block those shots. You can't eat them at all. You can't go straight back. Yeah, yeah. Get caught against the fence in those small gloves, moving backwards. Yeah, with, with, with Nganu winging those fucking windmills at you. Yeah, it's not good. Well, Nganu reached back. Took his, his hook from Mars. And, <laughs> <laughs> bro, you see his, his hooks? Bro, they're like, he's reaching in his back pocket. Like, you're not supposed to throw like that. But with him, he can get away with it. He's got the power to land. And if he touches you, it, it's, that's, how, that's, how he, that's how he knocks everyone out. He's going forward. If you see when Stipe fought him, and Gong is having to go backwards trying to strike. And when you put him on his back foot, He's stepping backwards, it's hard to generate power because he's throwing from way back then. He's, he's, he's throwing from way back. He's not going forward with it. He's going backwards. And Stipe took some shots. But Stipe was going forward the whole time and was able to give shots back and take him down. And um, I would just love to see Ngannou versus Rumble Johnson at heavyweight. Let's go. Yeah, just do it. Just do it. But, I mean, here's the thing with Ngannou is it, that – that technical deficiency that he has when, like you said, he's fucking swinging punches from Cameroon, <laughs> you know, like when you do that, eventually you're going to reach a limit and someone's going to be technical enough to put you on your back foot, to stay in the pocket, to move, to grapple you. Like obviously Stipe and DC could give him problems. There's no question in Ghana could finish both of them if he lands a shot, but you know, that style, once it goes into the third or fourth round, like, like uh, Stipe was able to show, you can wear him down. You can take some pepper off those shots, put him on his back. Uh, so, you know, he's not unbeatable. He's not, but he's so fucking dangerous that can you stay in the fire when those things are, these fucking sledgehammers are flying at you? Can you stay in there? Can you keep a game plan, put him on his back foot, put his back against the cage, close the distance where his short, his shots are shorter and they don't have the same amount of power. Like, uh, you know, you have to be able to do that while you're under fire with the heaviest power puncher of all time in small gloves. And, and that's going to be the trick is being able to actually execute. It's, it's the same thing. It's kind of like a concern to the fire about like the, the technical, like 
Can you speak up a little bit, dude? Your, your volume's kind of going up and down a little bit. It's, it's the same thing as like when you're talking about Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor is not a, they say he's not a five-round fighter because he throws with so much gas in the early rounds. And then he gasses himself out. Like you just can't, you can't sustain throwing that hard over that amount of time. The amount of body weight you have to deal with when you're wrestling with people, it's, it's just, it drains on. It's just physically impossible to throw with that much power. So the same thing, and I think it just translates really well. Everyone talks about, like, Connor gassing out after the first two or three rounds, like, taking steam off his punches. It's the same thing with Ngannou, man. There is no way. It's probably even worse for him because he's throwing so much body weight into those punches. If he doesn't connect and he doesn't finish you, and the guy puts, you, puts him on his heels, fights him on the – man, if you fight Ngannou on the cage, How's he, how's he going to be? You can't he, – he doesn't, he doesn't knock you out on the cage unless he's yeah. going forward, you know. Um, I think DC versus Ngannou would be a good fight as well. I think Daniel Cormier would take him down and just beat him up. Yeah. I think um, – I don't know, man. It's, there's just so many good fights at heavyweight now. Do you like think Cyril these knockouts – uh, Do you think these knockouts are going to kind of go to his head? Because, you know, with this – what it, I mean, his record is insane. Like, his last four fights have all been, like, in a minute or a minute and a half or something like that. Like, I mean, that's just not sustainable. And what that will do is, like, you get so confident in your power that you lean on it totally, and then you end up in, like, the steep base situation where he can eat those shots. He, can, he has the cardio to go five rounds. You know, can Francis adapt to win a championship and maintain a championship if his power can't always bail him out? And that's the thing, like, um, I think, um, man, this, there's a lot of, it's just so many good fights, I think, at heavyweight, if Rumble comes back, and then, bro, I'm telling you, there's a heavyweight named Cyril Gane, who's actually from the same team as Nganu, who I think is a much better, well-rounded heavyweight, French guy, bro, he's a beast. He's a killer. Jacked, He's the too. future of heavyweight. Fucking jacked. I saw him fight his last. He had a, a, I think it was a pretty tight fight, though, in one of his UFC fights. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he's got the physique. He's got the look. He's, you can tell he's sharp. He knows how to strike, too. He's a much more classical kind of kickboxer. Um, yeah, I know that guy. He, he's definitely an interesting prospect. He, I think he just cracked the top 15 recently, or will probably quite soon. I think he's 3 or 4 0 or something in the UFC. Yeah, man, he's a killer. And then um, there's um, there were so many good performances. I mean, what do you think about the uh, the co-main, the Dominic Cruz Cejudo fight? Did you think that was an early stoppage? I I think anytime someone's coming up, it's an early stoppage. Yeah, me too. I think if you're coming up, you should let him go. But when you watch it in slow motion, like when you watch it. In real time, you feel bad for Dominic Cruz. But when you break down, as a referee, it's so hard to, like, because you want to look after the safety of the fighter. It sucks being a ref. It's got to be the hardest job. Because you don't want to fight you don't want a fight to, start, to stop it too late or too early. Either way, you're going to be criticized to hell, right? So, always, he's trying to err on caution, I guess. But, I mean, he got hit with the big knee, fell flat, and when he's defending his head down, like as the ref, it's like as a ref, you could be you could be getting hit, man. He's just getting bop, 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 bop. My my thing is is if you watch Frankie Edgar fight, if you watch him fight, one thing he does well when he would get rocked, especially in those Gray Maynard fights, is he's, his head comes up. So like the ref can see that he's working. When your head's down, even though you're okay, as a ref, it's hard. You don't you can't see if his if he's going out or not. Even if the legs are working, his legs could be like working, but he could be almost out as well. It's it's a it's a hard thing to call. I mean, to be honest, Dominic Cruz wasn't winning that fight anyways. It wasn't like wasn't like he was winning and and, and he got stopped. Um, Cejudo's too fundamentally sound, I think, for anybody. But Peter Yan is really the only fight I want to see Henry Cejudo fight. I think anyone else is a pretty much a, as a budge is a budge shower for him. I think he just he's too technical. Golden gloves, boxing champion, Olympic gold medalist. I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, Piotr Jan is clearly the this, the seeming heir apparent to, to that division. But going to the Cruz fight, I, th- I thought it was an, a bit of an early – my only thing is – and, you know, maybe the referee didn't know this. First of all, being a referee is without question a thankless job. I've been a referee for MMA matches. And even as it's happening and I'm in there, I'm kind of – I was refereeing a, an amateur fight one time, and I saw uh, one of the Evolve guys was fighting. Charles Liu, I think, was fighting somebody. And uh, I was refereeing that fight, and he had him in a nasty arm bar. And it's an amateur fight, right? And I see his elbow bent in the wrong way. And, you know, I ref sometimes kids jujitsu, and, you, you know, you tend to stop them early. And I saw this dude's elbow, and I was like, should I jump it? And I was like, I got to just let it. I got to let it. I don't want this like, young kid to get his fucking arm broken while I'm refereeing a fight. But I have to let him tap in that. I have to let him make that decision. But even at that point, I was like, shit, man. But my whole thought was he was – coming up and uh you could see that he got one foot on the mat he was in like a turtle two knees on the mat he stepped up one foot on the mat and the referee didn't know this but there's like two seconds left in that round you got to give you got to give dom the the benefit of the doubt there i if he knew the time i just would have liked to see him like go to guard hug just you know when you're in that that three-point stand or that wrestler stand up a position trying to come up your head's not protected because you're posting trying to come up I would have liked to just see him clinch, grab a hold, roll guard, something just to eat those two seconds. But uh, it seemed to me like that Cejudo was on his way to winning that fight anyway. He had a great strategy. You know, Dom does – he does that that footwork where he he's pivoting a lot and changing his stances, and he brings his feet down on the center line a lot. You know, like a lot of people, when they do that footwork, they keep that shoulder-length distance between their feet when dom does it his feet come to the center so if you throw that sweeping low kick that can kick the back leg or the front leg i mean that's how you shut him down and the most underrated thing i think about henry cejudo is actually his tactics when he fights he fights everybody a little differently he had the game plan totally perfect for when he fought dom he had the game plan really as good as you can get it for when he fought dj the second time like just tactically he does the right stuff when he when he's in there against everybody I can't agree more. He's very, he's a tactically great fighter. He fights very, he's a very smart fighter. And, um, you know, I think the one thing about when Dominic Cruz was landing, he was landing when he was sitting on his shots, actually. When he was linear with Henry Cejudo, the punches he was landing that were good, but when he was sitting in punching, when he was moving in punching, Henry Cejudo had zero respect for his power there. You can tell. He literally just walked him down to the cage and was fucking kicking it. Because, I mean, if you're moving and I'm kicking you, how am I, if I'm moving, it's going to be extremely hard for me to generate power, sweeping outside to land, especially against a smaller target. Like, the, the fundamentals to it are wrong. And, like, Cejudo was smart. Like you said, he just went in there and threw those chopping legs. He was just chopping wood, man. He was just chopping the legs. And Cruz, when he was landing in the earliest part of the second round, he was throwing straight punches. He was sitting down, throwing straight punches. And I thought he was doing well with that. I don't know why he just didn't fight him in a telephone box, to be honest. He's the longer, taller guy. I thought he was landing well. And when he went back to swinging his head out, his head came middle line and ran right oh. that knee. Yep. I actually thought he was, he was starting to do that because the first round he was just getting his legs chopped out every time he would try to get, get off center, dipping his head and stuff. Cejudo was just throwing those, those chopping low kicks. But I like the second round he was starting to adjust and it seemed like he was, you know, you, the thing with that is like if Cruz is always leading and Cejudo can just keep him in front of him and then throw those chopping low kicks every single time, there's, there's not a whole lot he can do. But to your point, when he would let, Cejudo come in a little bit he was a lot better at sort of countering and then landing those hard shots so I think he was trying to make that adjustment but that 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 slip that he does where he dips off to the side I mean dude he timed that knee fucking perfect and he's just he had he had Cruz's number I think but uh you know he may end up fighting again Cruz if 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 uh Cejudo's out who else are they going to put in there TJ's still done for a while um they got to put Jan in there and I guess they put him in with I don't know who's the next contender after Cruz and Cejudo, Mar- maybe Marlon, Jose Aldo. They might do Jose Aldo and, and Jan. I don't know. I feel like Alderman Sterling is going to fight Peter Jan next. I think that's the fight to make. Yeah, that's a good call. Um, 
I'd like to see. Um, I'm curious to see what Frankie Edgar looks like at 135. I feel like that's been his weight class forever, and he's just never fought at it. Got to go through Jose Aldo so, again, maybe. <laughs> yeah, man. But like, I think I don't know. I'd like to see Frankie Edgar go out on top with the belt. I love that guy. He's my all-time my favorite fighter. Yeah, everybody. The little internet. But he's yeah. Little he's, could. He's the a little long in the tooth though. He's gonna have to get moving pretty soon. But you know, Sudo just cleared up two divisions, so hopefully that will bring some life into into both of those divisions, and then maybe people will appreciate Sudo a little bit more because he didn't not <laughs> did not get the respect he deserved as considering his accolades. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing with DJ. Like DJ got dominated by Dominic Cruz so handedly when they fought. Then he went down to band, to flyweight and just destroyed everyone. Everyone's just kind of like, and it's like the same thing I said earlier. Like, I think Steve Demiotis doesn't get nearly enough credit as he deserves for the amount of people he's beat. He literally has like the toughest record you can get in the UFC. He's like the heavyweight longest longest winning streak, and like he gets no respect as the champion, which is absolutely mind boggling to me. Bro, he's beaten every. He beat Verdun. He beat Overeem. He beat Ngannou. He beat Jay Junior Dos Santos. Bro, he all those guys, DC. all those guys. Bro, former champs, right? Yeah. Except Overeem, but Overeem was the strike force champ. But Verdun, I mean, Ngannou's not a champ as well. But I mean, everyone's saying like he's the next big thing. Look how badly Miocic beat him up. Like, yeah, I feel so bad for Stipe, and he's like literally. A frontline worker, and they're like urging him to sign the contract and stuff. He's like, "Bro, I can't even train right now. What are you talking about?" Yeah, I know. I feel man. so bad for that guy. He's such an interesting guy. It's crazy that he's not more popular. I mean, he's a fucking firefighter. He's got the most insane record in the heavyweight division. He just came back from a loss and beat DC with fucking throwing twenty liver shots in a row. Basically, was able to drop him with body shots and finish him. Like, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's because he just doesn't talk much, but and when he does talk, you can't understand a fucking word he says. But <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like I don't know. I think bantamweight bantamweight has, has just opened up as well. I think that's a good division. But featherweight is just as stacked. Talk about featherweight. What about Calvin Kadar? Oh my god, Dude, that fight was fire. That fight was fucking fire. His boxing is just. Dude, he throws combinations more crisp head, body, head. Like he threw some three and four piece combinations where I was like, shit, man. And you see each of them land. Like he'll throw the jab, the two dip down for the liver, come up to the head. And the guys are just like, boom, boom, boom. Like, each of them just perfect. And you're like, shit, dude, this guy's boxing is lightning fast. Bro, when he fought Zabit, if that was a five round fight, I think he could have put him away. Yeah, Which I agree. interesting because – the main events are always supposed to be five rounds, but it wasn't a five-round fight for Zabit in Russia, which is very, very interesting. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I, think, I think Zabit cuts way too much weight. He won't be able to, he won't be able to hang, handle, like, the amount of um, – he won't be able to handle a fourth and fifth round against a pressure fighter like Holloway, in my opinion. After watching him fight Calvin Gator, man, he folded in the third round. He, yeah. he just hard. took that round off. He took that round off completely because he was tired. You can't do that in a championship fight, man. <laughs> he's built like Will Choke, dude. He's like 6'2", and he's a cuts down to 145 pounds. What the fuck is that? I don't know how the hell he makes that weight class. And he doesn't yeah. – he doesn't have a lot of stopping power either. That's the thing with Zabit. Like he, he doesn't really put people away with like precision combinations. He's got a really good blend of like wrestling, judo, and then some really, really flashy, cool striking techniques. Like he's incredibly entertaining to watch. I mean, when I watch Zabit, like I'm pumped to watch him fight because he does a lot of traditional techniques, a lot of side kicks, a lot of spin kicks. He's got a great uh, outside trip that he combines with some more traditional wrestling. Like. He's a really, really interesting fighter. But, uh, I mean, he's definitely not, in my opinion, like as unbeatable as the sort of media puts him out to be, especially after that cater fight. He looks like Abe Lincoln, too. <laughs> yeah, he looks like Abe Lincoln. Brendan Schaub calls him the hormone monster. That's a good call, too. 
<laughs> that, that cater fight, though, man, that elbow, oh, my God, that step-in elbow right there, dude, right in the chin, perfect placement. He hadn't thrown more than, like, one, el- one or two elbows the whole fight, just stepped in, boom. And he's so patient. He's good. Bro, I would love to see Calvin Cater versus Yano Rodriguez. I, that's the fight I hope they make next. Oh, bro, that's a good call. I hadn't thought of that. That's a great fight. The way it should go. That other way is Zabit versus Zombie. Volkanovski, obviously rematching Holloway. And then you have Cater fighting Yara. I think those are the three fights you make. It's a good call, dude. Maybe you should be a matchmaker or something. <laughs> By the way, he, he does do matchmaking, just in case the listeners don't know. That's the joke, man. <laughs> now, now, for me, that was like the um, – because Cater already fought Zabit and um, Yara already fought Zombie. And even though Yara, Yara – everyone wants to see Yara versus Zabit, I'm more interested in – and Yara versus um, Yara versus uh, Cater because you got to make those both fights five round fights. You can't, in my opinion, in the UFC now, you can't win. You can't compete for a title unless you fought in five rounds before. It doesn't like that's what they're doing now. You see a lot of these guys; they're getting those five round main event slots, and then they're fighting. Like I think Zabit needs a five round five to prove that he can fight five rounds. He hasn't had one, right? He hasn't had one yet. No. no. And the same, the same thing with Yara Rodriguez. Bro, when Yara Rodriguez fought Jeremy Stevens in the last UFC Boston card, bro, yeah. Jeremy Stevens almost stopped him too. That and should again, have been five rounds. That's what I'm saying. And like, I think, I don't know, man. Cater versus Yara would be wild. It would be a wild fight. And you could easily, easily put that as a main event. That could easily be a main event. Same with Zabit versus Zombie. That could easily be a main event anywhere in the world. Yeah, 45, dude. I'm t- man, 135, 145, 155, 170. Like, God damn, these fucking divisions are just insane right now. 2021 is going to be, once we get through this coronavirus nonsense, like, oh, man, the UFC, even like once they get Fight Island rolling and stuff like that, in the next three months, Ooh, is there going to be some good fights coming? Brian Ortega in there too. I totally forgot about Brian yeah, Ortega. Yeah, he's in the mix for sure. Holloway. I mean, he that fight with Volkanovski was competitive. Like tactical adjustments on either side could could edge that in either fighter fighter's direction. You know. I'm calling this now, and I love Alexander Volkanovski. I think he's a super nice guy. I think Holloway beats him in the rematch. So. Really. Adjust to the leg kick. I mean, that'll be his thing, right? He'll have to adjust to the leg kick, figure out a way to cut that off. I think he's going to stay long, and he's going to put pressure. I think Alex fights his best coming forward. I think if he's able to put pressure on Volkanovski, he'll be able to to, to not – he won't stop Alex. Like, obviously, I want Alex to win. I'm going for Alex. But if I was a betting man, I wouldn't bet against Holloway on the rematch. Did you pick Volkanovski to win the first time? I picked I picked Volkanovski to win that. that yeah, I did too. Way. I did. I picked him. I picked Volkanovski to win. I thought he'd be more like cage wall, like fight him. But he did well on distance with those leg kicks. Mm. But that's such an easy, easy correction for Holloway to make. I think if um, – I just think, to be honest, I thought he looked flat that night. I thought he just had a bad night in the office. I think the best version of Max Holloway comes to be Alex Volkanovski. To fight Alex, I think he beats him. And it was it was a pretty close fight still, even even despite all of that. So I'm glad they gave him the rematch. He, he definitely deserved that. Uh, can we can we move on to the can we move on to the one that I thought was the most interesting and sort of controversial fight was the was the Anthony Pettis Cowboy Cerrone fight? Because my my opinion on that my thoughts on that were that 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 eye poke in the third round I think is what edged it for Pettis because it looked so significant and the referee didn't stop it because he thought it was a punch. And so Pettis eye pokes him and then you see Cowboy and in a razor close fight. And then you see this big reaction and then Pettis flurries him and the judges because it wasn't deemed an illegal technique can only assume that it was a clean strike. And I mean, up to that point, it was back and forth in that third round. And then Cerrone landed that huge head kick, which was the most significant legitimate strike of the whole fight. 
So, I mean, I thought Cerrone won with his takedowns anyway, but then actually I had a one-to-one -one going into the third. But I think that eye poke totally skewed the fight in Pettis' favor because they deemed it a legal strike. I think um, I, I almost agree with you almost 100% on every point. I, I wouldn't like I didn't think it was like a travesty of a decision. I could see why they put it either way. I thought personally Cowboy did way more in the terms of a mixed martial arts bout. He did more takedowns. I thought I thought man, Cowboy's head kick landed heavy heavy in the I thought he finished the third round way stronger than Pettis. Me too. I thought he won the third round. I thought I thought Cowboy had won the second and the third round. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I thought Cowboy won the second and third round. Um, Pettis was landing like good from South Porto. Like his left leg kick is phenomenal. But man, Pettis had the dad bod coming in. What? Yeah, he was, he was looking thick, bro. Damn. What was he eating? Holy <laughs> shit. But I was happy how Cowboy looked because after the Conor McGregor fight, like everybody was just willing to write him out. And the fact that he came in, his chin looked good. He was scrappy in those exchanges. He didn't back down once. And that head kick, man, I don't know how the hell Pettis ate that. That was shin to neck. Like, that's usually donezo when you get caught with that. I think if Cowboy took a step back and looked at how he should fight, bro, his wrestling is so good. It's not bad. If you watch him shoot, like, every time he shoots those low doubles, he finishes them. I never understood why he doesn't wrestle more in that fight. If McGregor came searching at me like that, the first thing I would do is shoot a double leg on his ass. Like, I'm not going to back up to him. No, man. I'm going to the shit out of you. <laughs> That, I think Cal Cowboy is great on the ground. His jiu-jitsu is super good. Yeah, he's MMA, super underrated. Very good jiu-jitsu in MMA. Super good. And, like, man, I know, like, people like to see standing bank. But at this point in your career, if you're trying to advance, get those big money fights, and you want to fight the belts and stuff, you got to put together wins. And that's just, the like, the, the, the far and short of it. I thought, he, I thought he did enough to win, obviously. But I don't think it was a travesty of a decision i could see why it went the other way but um i was just i was just more curious i was just more kind of aware and thinking about the fact that it was clearly an illegal eye poke that definitely will have skewed the judge's opinion thinking that it was a legal strike because the referee didn't stop it and, they, it, and based on the reaction alone, it looked like, because he, he goes like this and he's do it like, so it looked like it was such a strong strike. And then for sure, that, that will have been what skewed the, the decision in, in Pettis' favor, I think. But the fight was fucking awesome. It was so good. It was good to see both veterans like that get in there and have an even match, considering Pettis starched him in that first fight with that left kick to the body. I mean, his, his left high kick and his left, uh, body kick from the southpaw stance his count like right when you're stepping in he just slams that thing in there it's a thing of beauty 100 it was a great fight i love that fight that was probably one of my favorite fights of the night yeah me too um what else yeah. is there there was one more really really good fun fight um, the vicente luque versus the yes. fight bro Oh my god, this fucking card was insane. It was so good. I came back here after after I went to clean the gym and I told Charmaine, I was like, you gotta watch this fight. I mean, his fucking eyeball was hanging off, but he never backed down. Nico Price didn't back down for a second. Meanwhile, the Castro is like, oh my toe. I can't my toe. My, my thing with, I feel bad for him because like as a heavyweight, it's as as his back foot. And as a shorter guy, he's, like, throwing everything from his, like, weight, like, sitting on it. And I don't really – I think it was a mobility issue. Like, I didn't really think he had problems, like, walking on it. Like, you could tell it was bothering him. Bro, that guy was coming out throwing some amazing leather in the first round. Oh, I know. And then I all like, of a, this is going to be all a the fight. It stopped. Yep. He didn't, the I, thing that annoyed me more than anything is he threw one strike after that, and it was a low kick with his bad leg. And I'm like, <laughs> if you're going to pick one strike to throw after you break your toe, don't kick him with a leg that you throw a fucking jab out, for God's sakes, or a one-two or some, something like that, something where you're not planting the weight on that front, on that, that rear leg. But either way, anyway, point is, Nico Price and uh, Vincente Luque, who's a dog of a contender, man. He might be a dark horse in that division. Wonder Boy kind of pieced him a little bit and picked him apart. But, man, that guy is good and he's tough. 
Yeah. When, when Wonder Boy fought Masvidal, he fucked him up so bad. Like, people, I don't understand. Like, everyone talks about this division, division, division. Bro, I want to see Wonder Boy fight fucking Israel Adesanya. You want to talk about super fights? That's the super fight I want to see. That would be so good. Wonder Boy versus. Wonder Boy versus Adesanya or Wonder Boy versus Kamaru Usman. Like, I don't understand. Like, okay, he got knocked out by Pettis. Completely understand. Like, he got knocked out. But she was dominating that fight. He kind of just got caught. But, man, like, when Wonder Boy is on, bro, he's the best striker, in my opinion, in the entire world. There's no one. He's, he's so phenomenal. Like, he just switched, kid. Wow. It looks like a... Enter the dragon for real, bro. Like inside the cage, it's a wild man. He's still in the mix for sure. I mean, he's uh, he's definitely that division. You still got to go through him. I mean, he's still ranked in the top in the top five. I think getting a little older. I think he's almost forty, so he, he's pushing it. He'll have to get in there pretty soon and, and get a big win. But yeah, I mean, he's, he's absolutely in there. But but Luke, and even still, even though he was getting pieced up a little bit in that fight, Luke was there. He was still landing. He was doing some work. I think he's one of the best strikers in that division for sure. With Wonder Boy being obviously the best, I would say. He's a good counter fighter. Good on the feet. He's got good submission. That was a great fight. It's a great. It's great that they put that on the undercard. I, I got a feeling Dana White's kicking himself. He didn't put that as the first fight on the main card. <laughs> and between that and Cowboy and Pettis, like pro. Those fights were so damn good. There were four or five just bangers. That was one of the best fight cards I've seen. They, I mean, they, they came after this layoff, and everybody fought hard. And then there could have been a couple other. We missed out on the Jacare, uh, Uriah Hall fight. I, I thought Claudia Gadea and Angela Hill were supposed to fight, too. I don't know what happened in that fight. Rose was supposed to fight Gadea, and then Rose totally pulled out because her family members passed away. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Then um, but how about Bryce Mitchell? Fuck, you know, talk yeah. about a jujitsu masterpiece. Oh my god. Yeah, a couple of my old training coaches trained him because uh, he trains out of GF Team in Arkansas. That's the gym where Roly Delgado's at, and then Italo, my old coach, used to train there. And then one of his instructors, uh, Danielson Pimienta, is one of the jujitsu coaches there too. So I know that the jujitsu team there is really fucking good, but. That guy he fought was a Ricardo Laborio black belt, and he made him look like a blue belt, dude. But kept tying him up in those twisters and every like he almost twisted him three times. That's a jujitsu black belt, and like I had an arm. He must have had like ten or twelve near submissions, and even toward the end, that dude's talking shit to him, trying to get goad him into a stand up war. He just stuck to him like glue. He had almost a Khabib style to him, but man, that was really impressive to watch. Yeah, it was very one-sided. I think, I think, uh, yeah, man. Bryce Mitchell's good. I'd like to see him fight the top top fifteen guy next that featherweight. I mean, he's that he he's he's a draw for the UFC for sure. And he's twenty five. Definitely a draw. He's got plenty of time. Yeah, yeah man. guy. But you know, once you get into that upper echelon, we will have to see what his striking looks like. You know, like once you you have to be able to strike once you hit that top five, top top eight. We say that, but look at Habib. He fucking can't strike for shit. <laughs> He's okay. He, he was able well, to... Uh, Habib only strikes to get close, in my yeah. opinion. <laughs> he just jabbed Ally Quinto. That's like the only case study for his striking. He like, when he's flustered, he like sprints in and does like this lunging jump. <laughs> <laughs> he's got, he's got the, the Dylan Dennis flying eagle kick, though. Bring that back out. <laughs> All right, dude. The best strike you landed in that fight. <laughs> I think we're gonna have to wrap it. How long have we been going for? I don't even know. Almost an hour and a half, right? I can't tell. I can't tell either. But you got anything else you want to chat out about before we get out of here? Um, I, no, man. I just hope everyone stays safe. Um, I think the next the next car is coming up. If you you want, you know, um, I think. Uh, they have a card on Wednesday, which will be good. So it'll be like Thursday morning our time and then the Sunday morning again. So fights are coming back. I hope everyone just stays safe during whatever is going on. I hope they open the gyms back up. I think the rest of the world is kind of coming back to itself a little bit. You're starting to see countries open up more. Um, New Zealand just went to level two, so their gyms will start to open up again as well. Uh, I hope Singapore takes suit. Um, couple weeks. Shout out to all the grab drivers who are delivering food and stuff now. 
I know it's shout out to McDonald's for opening up again. Let's yeah, I'm go. gonna order today, dude. I'm gonna order today. I've been jonesing hard. <laughs> um and uh shout out to Lucas Leisure for having me on the podcast and uh condolences for everything that's happened and um yeah, man, I hope everything's okay with you and your family. Thanks, dude. I appreciate you doing this for me. As soon as this fight card was over, I was so fucking pumped for it. I knew I had to get you on and just talk shop with you. So I appreciate you doing this. Let's do it again. I'll definitely have you back on as soon as we get back to doing it. And I can, I can see a beautiful face, face to face. Awesome, brother. Have All a right, great man. day. Cheers, everybody. Stay safe. Thank you for listening. This is the Stronghold Podcast. Peace. <laughs>